Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. We are so happy that you have decided to join us. Hopefully, you will find the next few minutes challenging and refreshing as we consider together how God is asking us to respond to His grace. If you are listening because you are unable to join us at our physical location, thank you for keeping in step with us, and we will look forward to seeing you in person next Sunday. If you are joining us from outside of Anchorage, then please drop us a line and let us know where you are listening in from. We would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you are exploring faith for the first time or just trying to figure out what Awaken is about, please don't hesitate to drop us a line and introduce yourself. We welcome any question you might have about life, the Christian faith, or Awaken Church. May God be with you as you listen. It's good to see everybody. And if you're not aware already, today is Mother's Day and you should probably reach out to your mom today if she's not near you. And uh, you should probably say hello. And I'm telling you that partially because I haven't made my phone call yet today. So I need a good reminder myself. Well, there are lots of different reactions to all of the holidays, Christmas or uh, whatever the case might be. Mother's Day is one of those things that actually some ladies don't even show up to church because it has an association for them that is uh, very difficult, uh, whatever the situation or circumstances might be. I know this year uh, I have been at two funerals where moms who were dearly loved passed away. And so I'm sure uh, that for some people, Mother's Day is not uh, a wonderful day in that regard. But at the same time, uh, when motherhood happens uh, well, it is a really incredible thing. It has a massive impact and it should be celebrated. And so, um, you know, the scriptures even say, don't they, that we should honor our father and mother. And that's not a directive to celebrate the American holiday of Mother's Day necessarily. It goes far beyond that. Uh, but certainly we, we want to take this day and, and recognize uh, mothers for sure. So we're just thinking about, uh, you know, the best way to do that. And, uh, you know, we want to build into mothers, into females, and uh, we want to spend some time just talking about uh, the value of women, the role of women. And uh, hopefully at the end of the day, all of us are inspired. So Sarah, if you would please come up, everybody say, hello, Sarah. Hello, Sarah. All right. Sarah has bravely volunteered okay. to lift up mothers today. Oh, geez. Okay. So I'm not a public speaker. I'm a writer. So I'm going to be reading a lot. Sorry. Um, all right. So I wrote this piece um, on Levi's request called The Future's Family. And um, all right. Here we go. I want to take some time to celebrate the uniqueness of being a woman. And what better day than Mother's Day to do so? The greatest blessing of my life is without a doubt my children and my marriage. Being a mother has taught me patience. I'm still working on that. (laughs) Humility. There's nothing like a three-year-old temper tantrum that ended in a whole display at Barnes & Noble being kicked over to teach you humility. Quickly. Um, Joy. Simply hanging out at home, playing and loving on my babies are the most favorite moments of my life. And mostly unconditional love. There's absolutely nothing I wouldn't do for my children. No sacrifice I would not make without hesitation, and I know other mothers feel the exact same way. So in honor of Mother's Day, I want to address what I believe to be one of the biggest threats to motherhood in the nuclear family, feminism. So whoever just rolled their eyes, just stick with me, I swear. I'll, get, I'll make my point. Okay, so people that 
do not know me well are often surprised when they find out that I am not a feminist. In fact, I loathe the feminist movement, and I'll explain why. From the outside, it may seem like I would be a feminist. I have a career that I spent over a decade training for. I have a stay-at-home husband. I have two kids while working full-time. But the truth is, I am feminine, but most certainly not a feminist. The most fulfilling part of my life is when I'm home cooking, loving on my babies. Cooking for my husband and children, like I just said, is one of the best parts of my day. And I know in my final moments, I will think back on the times we all gather in the kitchen, dancing, laughing, and loving one another. Our culture seems to be focused on redefining things. Think about it, gender, masculinity, marriage, feminism, all of these have been redefined. Even the term mother is being redefined. Missouri Congresswoman Cori Bush recently referred to mothers as birthing people. I don't so today, let's look at what it means to be a woman through a Christian lens. And um, we should start by addressing the feminist movement. Um, let's first discuss a brief history of the three waves of feminism. So the first wave of feminism dates back from the early 1900s to the 1960s. Christina Hoff Summers, who I highly recommend you checking out if you're interested in stuff like this like I am, um, she explains that there were two original types of feminists, egalitarian and maternal feminists. Egalitarian feminists championed for women's rights on the premise that women and men should be able to hold the same roles and that there is no difference between the two genders. Maternal feminists fought for the same rights. <clears throat> Pardon me. Education, <clears throat> sorry. Education, voting, property ownership, etc. However, the maternal feminists had a different voice for advocating these rights. They recognized that men and women are different and affirmed and elevated the importance of the maternal role and in the family and the society. They embraced the uniqueness of each gender and understood that the equality does not mean sameness. The Holy Trinity is perhaps the best example of this. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal, yet unique. The second wave took place from the 60, 1960s to the 80s. The egalitarian feminists gained popularity and power. This era focused on reproductive rights. They started chanting the slogan, my body, my choice. And remember at this point, um, women had equal rights to men, education, business and property ownership, legal equality. So you have to ask yourself, now what was left to fight for? This era marks the beginning of the radicalization of the feminist movement. Despite having equal rights, many, many feminists were blundered as to why there was still a majority of women that preferred to work at home. In Betty Friedan's best-selling book, The Feminine Mystique, she wrote, have not women who live in the image of the feminine mystique trapped themselves within the narrow walls of their homes. They have become dependent, passive, and childlike. The work they do does not require adult capabilities. It is endless, monotonous, and unrewarding. They are suffering a slow death of mind and spirit. Just as with the prisoners in the concentration camps, there are American women who have resisted this death. Now that enraged me when I read that. I could not believe it. This woman actually advocates that women choosing to stay at home and raise a family are similar to those in concentration camps, wasting their potential. The most fulfilling part of my life is my family. I've said that, and I'll keep saying it. And if I knew, that I, if I knew what I know now, you better believe I would have invested in my husband's education rather than my own. I wish I were wise enough to spot the lie that a woman has to have a career outside the home to be fulfilled. Now, please do not think I'm looking down or judging any woman that wants a career outside of the home. I obviously have one. I do certainly not judge anyone. I just want to stigmatize the notion that women cannot have a fulfilling life if they choose to stay home and raise a family. I'm grateful that we live in a society where women can make the choice to raise a family or pursue a career outside of the home for themselves. And just a side note, I think that single women that do it all, work and raise families, are modern day superheroes. They have my utmost respect, and if you're sitting here today, I want you to know that I think your strength and perseverance is admirable. The third wave began in the 1980s and plagues us to this very day. 
It seems that radical feminists of today have pledged an all-out war against men and the supposed patriarchy. They ignore the fact that women have broken into every male-only industry. They scream oppression and they won't be told otherwise. They rant about toxic masculinity. As a mother with a son, this term infuriates me. I could go on and on, but um, I'll save that for another day. Modern feminists argue there is no difference between man and woman. They believe that woman can do anything a man can do, and most radical feminists believe that a woman could do all things better. Many believe that the very construct of gender is fluid and nothing more than a cultural influence, a result of a cultural influence. So to gain equality, feminists try to erase any physical biological difference between men and women. This is what I meant by gender fluidity. Feminist social media is full of memes and posts of abolish the patriarchy. Which brings me to the first lie I want to mention regarding the feminist movement. First lie, our democracy relies on the oppression of women. I understand the motivation behind the first wave of feminism and I'm grateful for it. But abolish the patriarchy, I think it's important that we set the record straight on this term because it's been hijacked. Historically, patriarchy has meant rule of fathers, not rule of men. There's a very big difference between the two definitions. We know as Christians that fathers are designed to lead, protect, serve, and sacrifice <clears throat> themselves for the family as Christ has for the church. This calling is to be carried out under the full guidance of the Lord with a gentle and humble spirit. Does this type of masculinity sound toxic to you? It does not to me. And the fact is the patriarchal system reflects God's design and was meant to be a form of protection, not oppression. Let's talk about God's design for women. Scripture tells us that the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Genesis 2.18. Egalitarian, egalitarian feminists have used this context to try to make a case that the Bible was written in a patriarchal society and that women have been oppressed since the beginning. This is important. As an apologist, trying my best to equip my children with the truth, we know that Christ and the Christian worldview brings us freedom, liberates men and women alike, despite what our culture tries to persuade us. The word helper may have a negative connotation in our culture, but that was not the case in the Old Testament. Helper was used to describe the ethical, spiritual, and physical assistance given to one in need. The woman's role is functionally different, but not inferior. Women provide what is lacking in men, and this represents a complementary relationship. The Lord came as a speaker, or I'm sorry, the Lord came as a helper to help the helpless, not because he was or is inferior, but because he alone has the power to do what we cannot. I know that there are women that are abused every day, it goes without saying, that there are certainly men that abuse the patriarchal role. I'm not legitimizing abuse. Women worldwide do suffer from rape, domestic violence, child brides, genital mutilation, exploitation through prostitution and pornography, and this is all very tragic. I read a quote the other day that really struck a chord on my heart. A victim who is desperate to be heard will overlook flaws of a movement that is willing to listen and be angry on her behalf. Let those words really sink in. This theology can be applied to many mainstream activists group today. A victim who is desperate to be heard will overlook flaws of a movement that is willing to listen and be angry on her behalf. The truth is that the original design of patriarchy is not oppression, nor is it a hierarchy that supports male supremacy. One of the most famous scriptures also comes to mind when thinking how this culture wants women to believe they are oppressed. Proverbs 31, everyone probably knows it. She is clothed with strength and dignity and she laughs without fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise and she gives instruction with kindness. She carefully watches everything on her household and suffers nothing from laziness. Her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. Does this sound oppressive? Sounds like an honor. The second lie, biology is unfair, therefore irrelevant. Rather than rejoicing and celebrating the uniqueness of being a woman, feminists argue and fight to break down the gender binary. 
We know this is a lie. God perfectly made, perfectly made men and women different. The truth is, despite the claims of feminists and the LGBTQT community, gender is not a form of social construct. Women are unique. We are made to, by God to fulfill a purpose that only we can. God gave women a womb and the blessing of pregnancy and motherhood. Our crazy culture claims that men can menstruate and that we should no longer use the term breastfeeding but chestfeeding because men are capable of nursing a baby. Yes, these are real claims. And these are lies. Um, and they infuriate me. And it seems crazy that anyone would even dare say that a man could give birth and nurse a child. If you have to deny reality to win the fight, you've already lost. When I search feminism on the internet, the main theme I see pop up is my body, my choice. Reproductive rights go hand in hand with today's feminists. Pregnancy is one example where men and women do not share equality. The fact that a man can walk away from a pregnancy infuriates feminists and therefore fuels the fight to support and even normalize abortion. It's interesting though that the focus isn't on strengthening the nuclear family and the commitment to one another and preventing absentee fathers. The issue isn't that women are plagued by pregnancy. The issue is that men walk away from pregnancies. Now we live in an upside down world where abortion is not believed to be a sacred right and essential health care by many. This is diabolical. One sin will never justify another. We should rejoice in the beauty of God's design for the woman, the true privileges of motherhood, and honor the blessing of having a womb. Millions every year march chanting, my body, my choice, with the belief they are empowering women, when in actuality it strips away the uniqueness of being a woman. Feminists think that equal bodily autonomy between men and women will usher this egalitarian utopia where women do not have differences among men. This will never happen. And the reason it will never happen, because God designed us unique from one another. This brings me to the third lie. Feminism brings women freedom. This is somewhat true, at least it was in the beginning, with the first wave of maternal feminists. Before we did not have equality compared to men, now we do. And I would argue that we actually have more advantages in many ways to men, the military draft being a good example. Today I argue that feminism robs women of freedom. One of the most common scriptures misquoted by feminists is Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, and then they stop, because that blip is all they need to fuel their narrative. They don't keep preaching that scripture calls for men to love their wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christians know that only in submission and obedience will we be truly free. The role of husband and wife is no exception. In honor of Mother's Day, I was thinking that the same theology applies to motherhood. Mothers sacrifice everything for their babies. We grow them and keep them safe in our womb for nine months. We go without sushi and medium rare steak. That's a big deal for me. Um, and then we give birth. Birth is the ultimate submission, body and mind. Afterwards, we nurse them. We go without sleep and so on and so on. We sacrifice and surrender our wants and desires. This is not slavery, nor should it be compared to the concentration camps, as Betty Friedman suggested. Motherhood has given me freedom. Freedom from my selfish ways and a love that I never knew existed. The first time I saw my son was the very first time in my life that I felt home. And the first word that came to my mind when I saw his face was finally. Any movement that focuses on self-love and putting yourself above others is built on a throne of lies. Submitting to your spouse is freedom. Sacrificing yourself for your children is a blessing. Vulnerability is actually empowering. When I look at my daughter, I feel sadness thinking that she and other daughters may buy into the lie of feminism. This is why I speak out against the upside down culture and the feminist movement. The future is not female, the future is family. I pray all women see how beautiful God made us. I pray all women embrace how unique we are. 
And I pray all women see how their value, equality, and how perfectly we complement men. I pray as women together we don ourselves with the armor of God and are bold in the fight against this spiritual and cultural warfare. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you. Right this way. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome, awesome. I thought that might be better coming from Sarah instead of me. <laughs> well, what I would like to do is just spend a few moments thinking about uh, women throughout the scriptures, sort of like a, a brief survey of women throughout the scriptures. When Tanner, my son, asked me what the sermon was going to be about, I told him that, and he said, well, you could leave out Mary. She gets enough time at Christmas. So, I don't know, we might throw her in anyways, uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it starts off really, really well. God sees that man is alone, and he sees this is a major problem. Man is not going to do well alone. He's not going to thrive, and so he creates women, right? And so, uh, Genesis chapter 2 we see Adam's reaction to this woman. Whoa, finally, at last, right? He, after seeing everything else in creation, he sees this other individual that he can relate with that completes him. God says he wants to make a suitable helper for Adam, and the best translation into our day would be the word ally, I have a game that I love to play called Axis and Allies. It's a World War II strategy game. And I can just tell you that it's very important for the allies to be completely in sync together. I can't believe I'm referring to a World War II strategy game on Mother's Day, but that's just how it's going right now. So uh, this idea of ally is that you are, you are working closely together to achieve a significant mission. And God's design is that man and woman work together in perfect sync. But then Genesis 3.16, right? We know that there's this problem. Sin enters the world. And God lets women know there's going to be this power struggle going on. You're going to want power, but he's more powerful you're going to be you know, tempted to manipulate in this situation, and he is going to be tempted to oppress in the situation. We're going to throw servanthood out the window, and there's going to be this power struggle going forward. Later on in the New Testament, we see you know, God's ideal for marriage, and it's the man laying his life down for the woman and the woman laying her life down for the man. And this idea of hierarchy is erased because people are, men and women are so concerned about serving each other. Right, remember when Jesus' disciples come to him and they, they ask him who's gonna be, you know, who's gonna be the greatest? And he, 
he reminds them, you've completely lost it when you start worrying about hierarchy, right? And isn't that the example of the Trinity? They're not worried about hierarchy. They're worried about serving each other. And that's where the beauty of the relationship comes from. We see multiple negative examples in the scriptures of, of men and women fighting over control. Rebecca and Isaac fight over who's going to be the most blessed child. They each have their favorite. Samson and Delilah are in this fight of trying to manipulate and, and uh, use power and control. And so we see that. We, we see throughout the scriptures, throughout human history, we can look at statistics for Anchorage, and we can see that this is a massive issue, this conflict between men and women and this power struggle. But in spite of all of that, we see God moving powerfully in women's lives to do inspiring, courageous things. Um, Let's think about Tamar. This might be an odd one for you, but Tamar was a daughter-in-law to Judah, and her husband died, and so because of the traditions, she was given to the next son in line, and he died as well, and Judah started thinking, this, this woman is is a bad mojo, and so he, he kicked her out. Well, she actually posed as a prostitute. And I'm telling you, this is kind of a weird story to talk about on Mother's Day, but she posed as a prostitute to get in with Judah and reveal, ultimately reveal his hypocrisy in this whole story. She very bravely did something that was outrageous in order to reveal Judah's hypocrisy, and she calls him out in front of the uh, local elders. She brings him to the mat, the wrestling mat, and calls out his hypocrisy in front of all of these other men. And he is confronted with his sin and he has to respond to that. An incredibly courageous act. Rahab, another incredible woman in scripture, this woman who she commits an act of treason. She puts her life on the line because she realizes that there is an all-powerful, almighty God that the false gods that her culture is following, they're just lies, they're deceptions. And she wants to know the true and the living God. And so she commits this act of treason by, by hiding spies. She becomes Mossad's first asset, if you will. I thought that joke would go over a little bit better. Mossad's Israeli secret intelligence, you know, assets. Anyways, we can watch some spy movies together and it'll all make sense. Rahab, this incredible, incredible woman who gives up her country in order to gain God. And then we have Ruth, right, who does something very similar. She gives up her family, her traditions, her past, 
her comfort zone in order to go into this very difficult scenario with Ruth, or excuse me, with Naomi, her mother-in-law, to support her and love her and follow after the God that she has found to be the true God by watching the life of Naomi. And she ends up being in the lineage of Jesus as a result, this foreign woman. (laughs) There are so many different extraordinary women and mothers in scripture. They inspire us. You know, we think about Esther. That's like a whole sermon series, just thinking through the incredible bravery and courage of Esther. I'm going to read to you a story um, from the days of Solomon. And this is a pretty sad story. I'm not going to read you the whole story. I'm going to tell you uh, about most of it and then just uh, read the conclusion. But there are these two prostitutes again. A lot of prostitutes in the Bible. Wow. Um, these two prostitutes, and they both end up with children. And the one mother, she rolls on her child. Somehow, uh, in some way, this child dies during the night, and her plan is to get up and switch babies with this other lady and claim that you know, her child didn't die, everything's okay, and, and leave the, the grief to this other mother. And, you know, in the morning, when the real mother of the baby who is still alive, uh, you know, she's obviously, she knows her child. She's on to it. And so they take the case to local officials, and local officials can't figure it out. Ultimately, the case works itself up to the Supreme Court. They're now standing before the king of Israel, Solomon, to judge in this situation. And so in 1 Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 16, or excuse me, starting in verse 23, the king said, let's get the facts straight. Both of you claim the living child is yours, and each says that the dead one belongs to the other. All right, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought to the king. Then he said, cut the living child in two and give half to one woman and half to the other. Now, this would be a very gruesome story if we didn't already know what happens next. Then the woman who was the real mother of the living child and who loved him very much cried out, Oh, no, my Lord. Give her the child. Please do not kill him. But the other woman said, All right. He will be neither yours nor mine. Divide him between us. Then the king said, Do not kill the child, but give him to the woman who wants him to live, for she is his mother. Solomon knew that there's something called maternal instinct. He knew that the real mother in the room would be willing to sacrifice everything for her child. Solomon had seen women operate as mothers before, and he knew that this was true about them. The maternal instinct is actually an incredible analogy for the gospel. The thing that we celebrate on Mother's Day, if 
you, if you can celebrate Mother's Day, the thing that we do celebrate is these moms who pour out their lives on behalf of their children, on behalf of their spouses. They pour their lives out. They give up their own life and give it out freely. What better analogy could there be for what Jesus has done on our behalf? He gave up his rights. Right? The scriptures say that he considered equality with God not something to be held onto. He didn't worry about hierarchy. He came and he gave himself fully. He poured himself out completely. And that is what inspires us to live godly, courageous, full of faith Christian lives. So thank you. Mothers, for giving us this incredible example and reminding us of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Please join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you for my mom uh, who put up with me, who poured herself out uh, on my behalf. Father, we thank you for all of the incredible mothers here watching online. We just ask that you uh, would help them to feel honored. Father, we thank you most of all for the way that you sent your son to be poured out on our behalf, given on our behalf for our sakes, for our freedom, so that our sins would be nailed to the cross. Father, we pray that you would help us live lives worthy of the grace bestowed upon us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Mikey has a couple of things. Good morning, Awaken. I'm Mikey, and as you guys know, my job here changes every week, and this week, my job is to not roast Levi. It's Mother's Day. I'm letting you off the hook. I'm just going to say <laughs> happy say Mother's Day Father's to you guys. Day. <laughs> um, but I have a couple of quick announcements for you guys. The first one is the connection card, as always. It's right through the doorway there on the left side. If this is your first time at Awaken, or if you've been coming for a while and you haven't connected with us yet, that's a great way to get connected and just learn about the things that we have going on around here. Uh, the next thing I have for you is Firestarter. Uh, we spoke about this a couple times now, but Firestarter starts on May 19th. This is a midweek service that we're offering. It's a chance to come connect a little bit deeper. We're going to be outside, hopefully, if the weather's nice, and we're going to be you know, sitting around the fire and having conversations. We're still looking for volunteers with, with that event, and we need basically people who are willing to come on Wednesday nights and lead a conversation. We'll provide you with all the the, the questions and everything, but we just need people who are going to show up faithfully and care about the community and just want to pour back into the people of Awaken. And the last thing that I have for you guys is another Mother's Day thing. If you're a mother, if you know a mother, right through the doorways there, we have some free plants for you guys, so feel free to pick one of those up on your way out. And with that, I'm going to pitch it back to Levi. Awesome. All right. If you guys would please stand. Uh, from Ephesians 3. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length 
and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. All right, thank you guys. Happy Mother's Day, and we'll see you next week, if not before. Thank you again for listening. It is a joy to be able to share God's truth with you. Hopefully you found this teaching helpful to your understanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's world, and hopefully you are inspired to take a further step of faith. Please let us know how we can be praying for you as you continue your journey. If you live in the Anchorage area, you are welcome to join us any Sunday. And we have an Awaken 101 event every six weeks, and this is also a great way to find out more about our church. Please sign up for that event by going to the events tab at our website, awakenalaska.com, and looking for Awaken 101. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends, and we will see you next week.